Welcome to episode 22. 22 is a master number and we're going to talk about that in this episode as well as your devotional signature in relationship to the Astrid goddess Vesta, this Virgo full moon and our beautiful imaginative Pisces season. And finally, we culminate with an honoring of one of my mentors, Hank Wesselman, who recently transitioned into the other world. Welcome to Stars, Stones, and Stories. I am your host, Rama, and together we are weaving ancient future wisdom as we birth the new earth. If you are into astrology, cosmology, living mythology, earth-based spirituality, kundalini technology, and ancestral healing, you are home. If you stumbled upon this podcast and are new to these topics, this is Sovereign Sanctuary to expand and deepen your wisdom. As a cosmic priestess, I witness many at the threshold of great transformation. I specialize in astrological divination, sacred site activations, and priestess arts for the Aquarian age. You may learn more about my work at ramatribe.com or follow Rama Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and support the work at patreon.com backslash ramatribe. This Community is your opportunity to claim your story, your unique identity and power, knowing that you are the hero of your own journey. You are a hologram for the collective and you matter. The world needs your gifts and creativity now more than ever. Crystallize your medicine. Welcome to episode 22. I'm so grateful that you're all here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love how this community is growing since episode 21. There's 200 new unique listeners and another country represented. So now there's 62 countries all around the world where we're coming together as this beautiful ecosystem weaving in different conscious, beautiful ways. And I so love hearing from you. Feel free to send me a direct message through social media or an email. It really means a lot. And I love to know what you love about the podcast, any questions you have, any topics you want discussed, what you would change about the podcast. Let me know in a kind, loving way. This is a collaboration of art and you are just as important 
as my part in it because the podcast only works if there are people engaged and listening. I'm really grateful you take the time to listen. If you feel called to book a reading with me or to support my work in other ways, you can always visit my website, ramatribe.com and find ways to learn about my astrology sessions and future pilgrimages coming up. I am in the process of doing some major updates and rebranding to my work. Bear with me in the next month as things shift. I wanted to just let you all know that I will be launching my first online course in mid-April, and I'll have a global complimentary teaching event at the end of March. It's going to be on March 24th, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7 p.m. GMT. It's going to be a beautiful time to come together. I'll be sharing more about it in my next podcast episode. However, if you're interested, make sure you're signed up for my Venetian love notes. Those come out every Friday. And if you go to my website, ramatribe.com, you'll easily see how you can sign up for that. I have readers all over the world and people really enjoy the newsletters. I've been writing them for, I think, seven years now, every Friday. And if you want to become a patron of these sacred arts, you can go to patreon.com backslash Rama tribe. You can also follow me on Instagram, um, Rama tribe and stars, stones, and stories. I'm also on clubhouse at Rama tribe. I will be launching a room there pretty soon once I get some other pieces tended to. We have arrived at episode 22 of Star Stones and Stories. 22 is a very sacred number, and we can say that all numbers are sacred, all numbers carry frequencies. Numbers are codes within the codes contain so much information, information that I feel like I am just beginning to understand. And I've been considering numbers in this way for the majority of my life since I was in my early teens or even around the age of 12. This concept was introduced to me. Numbers are building blocks. They are the language of the multiverse, and they are the universal language. So beyond any culture, we could say beyond any kind of being, even beyond humanity, all of creation understands inherently, unconsciously, this numerical connection. Here we are at episode 22. So I must state that 22 is a master number. 22 carries solar vibrations. And knowing this, for me, I'm immediately drawn to the land of Kemet, to Egypt. As many of you know, as you've journeyed with me, through a number of my podcasts or other aspects of my work, including pilgrimage, you know that 
Egyptian culture, ancient Egyptian culture has become more and more a source point for my work in the world. And I'm so grateful for this culture that truly, in my opinion, is the cradle of life. And just like I feel like a very young student when it comes to numbers, I do as well with ancient Egyptian cosmology. And it's something that I've had the great privilege of studying both in person, through the land, through various, we could say, occult and new age platforms. I've also read texts that are academic and many different journal articles as I am a graduate student. So I have access to so much and it's very fascinating the different translations people take versus Egyptologists and academia and modern young people today versus Egyptians living, breathing on the land today. There's so many different translations of the culture and I truly believe that it is like a living library that is being accessed here and now for a very particular purpose. And this is why I was called to be in Egypt during the Great Conjunction and at the Great Pyramid on that portal day of winter solstice on December 21st of 2020. And the solar frequency is really the baseline of the ancient Egyptian culture. And we can look to many other civilizations where we see that same uh, frequency radiating out. However, I refer to Egypt because my own studies and passion has brought me there. And I refer to Egypt because we have the Great Pyramid, which in my humble opinion, is very much like a stargate that connects Earth to other portals throughout the multiverse. And so the pyramid, the pyramids, but, and we must state that pyramids exist all over the planet. There are many more pyramids that have yet to even surface. There are pyramids under the water. There are pyramids under the Earth. There are pyramids that reach beyond many cultures, and I believe we'll see more and more pyramids appearing. And even in the land of Egypt itself, there's way more pyramids than have, quote, been discovered. So for me, this pyramid consciousness is all about connecting to that solar force And the Great Pyramid is really the beacon from Earth to the cosmos. And this 22 master number carries these solar vibrations. We can break it down into two twos. Two is the frequency of compassion and cooperation. Two is about balance and equity. And you cannot come to two without... You have two individuals, two ones merging 
this one frequency is all about creativity and confidence and independence and a willingness to stand in your power and your radiance. And so you have two beings coming together, two source points coming together in their divine radiance. And they come and they witness one another and they see one another for their glory, their power, their beauty, their dark, their light, all of it. So it's that witnessing and coming together and cooperation and harmony as two. And we can also divide 22 by two and we have 11. 11, another master frequency that is all about pure creativity. And if we look at creative consciousness, creativity and confidence as the source point of one, and you double that down, you've got double of the influence of creation. So 22 stands to show us that our thoughts, our emotions, our actions create our realities. And this is a number of increased intuition and also personal responsibility and accountability because 22 is about the ability the cognitive ability, whether you're conscious of it or not, to mastermind your reality. It is manifestation amplified. This frequency is very beautiful. And for those of you who are connected to Mary Magdalene and Yeshua, they come from this 22 master frequency. And it was through their work, their service, their union that brought that archetype to earth through the human incarnation to remind humanity of our inherent gifts and powers. And again, we can take the archetypes of Mary Magdalene and Yeshua back to their source points to Isis and Osiris, Auset and Wasir, as the source points, these ancient Egyptian gods, the goddess Isis, Auset, the god Osiris, Wasir, were first divine humans becoming, showing the way showing the way for humanity and showing the power of when two come together, they create the divine child. They create this beautiful freedom, inherent freedom. And that is the experience on earth. We have free will. We have freedom. 22 is a, is a powerful code to be working with, as is 11. I invite you to just notice, perhaps, now that you've tuned into this on a deeper level, and of course you probably have heard these things before in different ways or little snippets, just notice how these numbers start to appear even more in your life. I find myself, there 
are times when I look at the clock and it's very much, you know, like 222, 111, 11-11, 11-22, 3-33, 4-44, 5-55. It happens quite a lot for me. And a lot of uh, people who build their work around the twin flame journey will also speak to how 11 and 22 are signs that your twin flame is coming. However, to be honest with you, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions about that. And perhaps in a future episode, we'll dive a little bit deeper about into that topic of twin flame. Uh, because I think it's really misunderstood the, the source point of it, where it comes from. I've, I've read the text academically. I honestly believe we all, we all are our own twin flames. It is that connection with your divine higher self that you're actually longing for more than any other connection. We all have many different soulmates and beings that we will love dearly and that we will work with and we will unite with and we will have people who will electrify us if we're lucky enough. (laughs) However, it's not always that black and white because sometimes those really intense recall soulmate connections uh, also require so much of us that must be transformed in the cauldron of purification and that process is not always easy and it is certainly not fun to die a thousand deaths within a month or a year or whatever it may be so this is a topic for another podcast, I was not planning and going in that direction at all, but this is what happens sometimes. I prepare my notes and then I know that when I sit down to record, what is going to come through will be its own flavor and I trust that. And I'm recording this on Venus Day, Friday, February 26th. I attempted to record this last night on Thursday, which is Jupiter Day. I really wanted to because it was the day when Venus went into Pisces. However, when I sat down to record, I mean, I spent an hour and I just didn't feel like the flow was authentically there. And if I don't feel that, you're not going to feel it either. And so that part of this process, because I see all of my work as my art. It is a form of art. I studied art in undergraduate school. I went to the Museum School of Fine Arts for my post-baccalaureate. I was going to go on to get a Master of Fine Arts, and I knew that I needed to step back from, quote, being an artist and to really be in life because every artist is a student of the creation of life, right? And we're all artists, whether you paint or you draw or you knit or you're a mother, every single human being on planet Earth is an artist. And that's the Aquarian age, right? We're here. We're here to make our art. And I'm very conscious about whether I'm having a private astrological divination session with someone 
or an alchemy session where we're working with stone medicine and sound healing and we're diving really deep into the psyche or whether we're in a group format traveling on a pilgrimage to Avalon, to France, to Kemet. All of these are expressions of art and I work with a lot of layers in my canvas. A lot of layers go into my work and that has always been one of the greatest themes, whether I'm working with clay sculpture or an oil painting, a watercolor pencil drawing that becomes painting, a podcast, a pilgrimage. I've place so many intentional careful layers that's my style and we all have our own unique styles and it's beautiful to dive into your own well of creation to know what is your style and so that brings us to the astrid goddess vesta i really want to speak about her because we have this beautiful virgo full moon coming in And Vesta is the shining one, we could say, in the full moon as she is conjunct the Virgo full moon. The sun is in Pisces. And Vesta is the sister. She's the priestess. Where she lives within our charts is where we show up in our lives as the sister or the priestess, someone who is in deep devotion to a person, to a cause, to a place. It could be planet earth, a concept, whatever it is, there's a devotional flame that burns so bright, so everlasting. And as I'm building my online course, I've been talking with someone behind the scenes and They were like, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't understand what devotion is. Like, what does that mean? And for me, devotion is all about how we carry ourselves in the world. Devotion is our frequency. And in any given moment, we can come from fear or we can come from love. And devotion is about being in that love frequency. It is also about being loyal, being so loyal to a cause, to a being, to a place. For instance, we all know that a mother uh, is very primal and instinctual if her child is in harm, particularly if it's a baby. And we know, you know, the the mother force can lift a car to protect her her young child. And that is absolutely instinctual and primal. And it is also devotional. So this piece, piece I'm speaking to is the devotional piece. And it is comes from one of the, the places is where in other times here on earth when we had goddess cults and goddess culture throughout the planet earth there would be sisters who were in deep service to the goddess priestesses 
and these Vestal virgins were in devotion to Vesta in Rome. In Greece, her name is Hestia. And if you're interested in learning more about this, one of my astrological mentors who I love dearly, her work, Demetra George, has been totally invaluable and uh, she is quite a sage in the astrological community in what she's brought forth. The importance of these asteroid goddesses, the asteroid goddesses namely being Vesta, Juno, Palisathene, and Ceres. Vesta is the keeper of the flame. She is the torch. She is the containment of the spirit. And as we look to the elemental realm, fire is our connection to the ancestors. So we could even say Vesta is the keeper of our ancestral connection. She connects to the kundalini energy as it rises up the spine and therefore to sacred sexuality as well. These Vestal virgins in Rome, they were chosen very carefully. Some of, we could say, you know, the finest maidens were chosen to serve the goddess Vesta through maintaining the fire, the sacred hearth, and making sure the fire was kept alit. And in that, they tended the temple and people would come for healing, different kinds of healing, but their main focus was to tend the fire. I personally believe we can trace Vesta back beyond Rome and Greece, and that is for another day as well. However, where Vesta shows up in our chart is where we are very committed, where we will show up diligently with so much love. And she comes through in a different way depending on what sign she is in in our chart and what house she lives in. At times, she will also work too hard or go too long. She is where we may sacrifice or deny ourselves. Ultimately, she is about our true commitment. So when people come to me and they want to know about their soul purpose, Vesta is definitely a placement I look to because it is through that Vesta portal where you will just devote and you will give yourself. And it's such a true level of devotion. It's with so much love and care as much love and care as a mother would give her child. Vesta is this main star in the Virgo full moon. I want to bring this concept of Vesta and her priestesses. They were called the Vestal Virgins, the ones who tended the fire in honor of her. And the concept of virginity has been very distorted, very intentionally distorted, as has the whole power and ability of sexuality, of a woman's womb space, of even a man's potential, because men do have wombs as well. And I'm not saying that men 
are meant to carry babies. I am speaking to our inherent power as beings on the planet who are creators. We all have this innate creative power. And within this, we have a true capacity to be our own healers as well. So the virgin is one who is sovereign, sovereign over her body, meaning she makes all of the decisions for her health and well-being, whom she may interact with, whom may touch her, whom she may touch. That is fully up to her. And as we look through history, we know that there are many examples where women have not been sovereign, where they have not been free to make those choices. And even today in our global culture, many, many, many women around the world, even in so-called developed Western countries, and I say that because that phrase stipulates a hierarchy that one is better than the other. And in my opinion, that's not true at all. In different cultures, we see where even today, many women do not have sovereignty over their bodies. So this is a freedom that we're working towards collectively here and now. And this goes back to the 22 frequency connecting to Mary Magdalene, a figure whose archetype is still very much distorted and misunderstood on planet Earth. Her archetype came through as a woman imprinting humanity on the sovereignty of the feminine power and the ability to heal, to create, to procreate in some of the most beautiful ways. Vesta is very much associated with domestic tranquility as well because her fire connects us to the hearth and the hearth is the center of the home. So as we think of the domestic space, we can think of our relationships, uh, our connection to our sexuality, our independence, our connection to our service, where we sacrifice, our connection to our own self-love, our bodies, and how we see our bodies, the state of purity and innocence that we see them in or not. Vesta in a chart, when she's in a beautiful placement that shows really good sexual intimacy that can be a form of healing for yourself and your beloved. Demetra George teaches us that her name is derived from the Sanskrit root vas, which means shining. So she is the shining one. And it's fascinating how these things happen because she is the brightest of the asteroids and the only one that can be seen with the naked eye. Also, she is composed of volcanic surface rock. In mythology, she turned down both Poseidon and Apollo, so Vesta herself chose to remain a virgin. Now, we could see her connected 
to both the astrological signs of Virgo and Scorpio. And again, this can connect us to Mother Mary as that archetype of the virgin, the virgin birth, or Mary Magdalene, the scorpionic frequency of sacred sexuality as sex as healing and also we could even take that further into light conception which light conception can actually tie together through Vesta in Virgo as the ruler of Virgo and Vesta as the ruler of Scorpio Vesta has a deep connection to the moon goddess and in occult teachings very much into the descent into the underworld the energies the hidden energies utilizing procreative energy whether that's sex energy or your own personal creative energy for enlightenment for liberation And in Celtic mythology, I very much see a direct connection between Vesta and, as you know, we're still in the season of Imbolc, and Imbolc is very much connected to Brigid. So this Virgo full moon, we have the sun in Pisces, Venus has just gone into Pisces, it's softening the intensity of the Aquarian stellium that we were living under for January and a good chunk of February. So this Pisces season is coming in to soften and make things more colorful, we could say, more poetic, more melodic, smoother, more oceanic. And with this, there's a bit of a dissolving of boundaries. There is some nebulousness. So it's also a time to make sure you are keeping your boundaries solid and you're staying grounded as you allow yourself to dream, to channel beyond yourself. The Virgo full moon is exact on Saturday morning at 3.17 a.m. on February 27th. Pisces season offers us a time to step deeply into the field of our imagination. This Thursday... Venus went into Pisces where she will stay in one of her most beloved signs until about the 21st of March around spring equinox. And Venus really loves to be in Pisces. Venus is, remember, our connection to how we love, how we see the world through art and how our value systems take hold. Venus, goddess of love and beauty that rules over the signs of both Taurus and Libra, is all about creating harmony. 
sensuality, attraction, and is all about relationship, how we relate with ourselves, how we relate with others, how we relate with the natural world. And this is how Venus amplifies culture. When we think about culture, we're thinking about a cultivation of practice. We're thinking about devotion. Venus inherently is a devotion to the beauty way. And with Venus in Pisces and the sun in Pisces and Neptune in Pisces, the very strong mental edges of that intense Aquarius stellium are softening. And as I'm recording this, you can probably hear the rain falling on my roof. And this is welcoming in that beautiful softening season of water where we are committing to our dreams, to our ideals. We're channeling our inner mystic, our psychic selves, our priestess, our priest selves, those devotional parts of who we are. We must also be aware that Pisces struggles with escapism and wanting to avoid reality, deception, boundary issues, being too hermetic. And so this is a time where we also want to be aware of our boundaries, working on clear, more defined boundaries, and also staying connected to our communities even through that sacred dream time. Pisces is a mutable sign, very changeable, adaptable. And as it's water, it's all about sensitivity and the unseen, watery, emotional realms. And Pisces is the completion of the zodiacal journey. We initiate through instinct with the Aries cardinal fire. And we travel down into the underworld through the zodiacal wheel and then back up to the midheaven to where we're seen through the public and then we eventually absorb back into the collective consciousness through Pisces. And so this Pisces season is so much about that collective consciousness energy and we open up our current astrology with the Virgo full moon that is exact on 3.17 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or 8.17 a.m. GMT on Saturday, February 27th. And this moon opposes the Pisces sun, which is conjunct Venus and Pisces. And as we know, the moon is conjunct Vesta and Virgo. So there's a very watery feeling with this full moon. It's water and it's earth. And so it's very yen. It's a quiet time. It's a time to really pull into self and to do some deep inner healing work. Virgo wants to work with the mind and the physical body and Pisces wants to work with our emotions and our source point out to the collective consciousness. So this full moon is a really beautiful time to reflect back 
on all of the seeds, the intentions you've cast since the great conjunction going through the different layers and to come home to self and to come home to self in a very devotional, loving, loyal way to get real with yourself. We, we all have our blind spots. We all have the spaces and the places where we have natural deficits, where we may have too much Vesta, too much of that workaholic, wherever she may show up. And so, for example, for me, I can easily give so much to my community and leave little for myself. And so I'm using this full moon time to really give to myself. And so I'm not offering any events. I really just wanted to pull within and be in my own sacred ritual space just for me, just for me. And so check in with yourself and where that resonates. We're all different. We're all unique. We're all in different places on our journey. As I mentioned, Neptune is in Pisces and has been since 2016. And so both now the Sun and Venus are coming to approach Neptune. So we know that the next few weeks are going to have that imaginative, really dreamy quality. Whereas the previous five, six weeks have really had a strong Aquarian energy and we're still bolstered by that strong Aquarian influence as we have Saturn, Mercury, Jupiter, and Pallas Athene all in Aquarius right now. And remember, Mercury has recently gone direct. And so there's this really deep focus over the next few weeks to continue to dive into self, to ask yourself, what am I creating? What am I creating in the next month? What am I creating in the next year? What am I creating in the next five years, 10 years, 22 years? And as you're in this dreamy space with this Pisces sun, Virgo, full moon, check in with yourself. What's being illuminated? How is your devotional signature? What needs to shift? Where are you giving too much? Where are you not giving enough? Where can you offer more gratitude and more space? So working with these energies, it will give you a chance to reflect as the moon starts to wane and we start to shed and we start to dissolve and let go in preparation for the Pisces new moon, which will be coming later on in the month around March 13th, depending on your time zone. This Virgo full moon is at nine degrees Virgo, and the Sabian symbol for this is an expressionist painter at work. It is about the urge to express your individualized sense of value, regardless of the traditions around you. So again, it's an opportunity to put in your imprint regardless of the cultural standards. And we know, we know we are in the midst of a cultural renaissance, a rebirth, a renewal. Each one of us is the artist. Each one of us has our own 
unique, beautiful palette of colors we're working with. And so knowing that, I think it's important that we keep reminding ourselves that we're all meant to shine. And there are lots of amazing people out there putting out their work. And your work is needed too. We all need to hear that. We all struggle with that. And in the world of social media, it can be very easy to feel like, wow, there's already like 15 people doing exactly what I'm doing out there. I'm just going to forget this. And I always joke, like, I'm going to stop doing my work and I'm going to go, you know, sell lemonade or ice cream or something just more simple. And there is beauty in that too, right? Like if that's your if that's your devotional signature in this incarnation, go for it because we need beautiful, well-made, hand-packed ice cream and we need some of the most alchemical lemonade that has ever passed through the solar rays. That's why it's so important that we're all diving into our devotional signature and expressing from that place because that's the authentic frequency that wants to come through you. I do the work that I do because I love it so much. The things that make me the most happy are sharing my knowledge about the cosmos and ancient Egypt and other ancient mythologies and cosmologies and connecting that to my ancient Celtic roots and ancient Native American roots here where I live on this beautiful land of the Cherokee and these beautiful Appalachian mountains, which I'm so grateful to reside in currently. And I love sharing information about astrology and connecting it with powerful sessions with people so they're more aligned with their soul's purpose, so they can make that difference in the world. And I absolutely love traveling and bringing people on pilgrimage. That lights me up so much and it's important you find these things that light you up for some people it is maintaining a beautiful bakery with fresh baked pastries and breads it's that smell of the dough rising and warming in the oven For others, it's placing their healing hands upon someone's body to help their body shed and let go and dissolve. For some people, they are just the most beautiful writers and they're meant to help others step into their own unique writing voices. There's so many paths out there. And this season is so much about devotion and honoring that. And as we look to nine degrees, Virgo, Through the star sparks lens, it is a man mixing cement. Again, this is about the stabilizing force, working hard, being determined. So we've gone through the great conjunction and we've gotten our clarity around different 
parts and pieces. And yes, so much is still landing for each one of us. But we know as we've gone through this potent Aquarius season and we have Saturn and Jupiter in Aquarius, our work is to continue to be our unique selves. And now in this Pisces journey, we have the opportunity to really play with that, to play with the palette, to play with our art, to play with our creativity, to allow our imaginations to shine. And Vesta in Virgo conjunct the full moon in Virgo is emphasizing the workforce, allowing us to um, really dive into our sacred duty through the body, through our ability to analyze, to categorize, to develop uh, sympathy and compassion with others. Also in this full moon, the asteroid goddess Ceres, who recently entered the sign of Aries, she was in Pisces for a number of months. She is coming now to conjunct Chiron and Aries. And Ceres is how we nurture. And Chiron and Aries has been teaching each one of us about our own inner divine masculine and where that wounding has happened and how we heal that. And that work is so important on the planet right now because we really need strong, strong men who are in their kingship, in their space of being radiant leaders and protectors, protectors for the greater good. And so Ceres is coming in to nurture our uniqueness, our instinctualness, our independence, and also bringing in that support of the feminine force as the male force is on that primal healing journey. And to be clear, this is happening within each one of us, regardless of our genders. We all carry this inner divine masculine, inner divine feminine. It is this polarity, this force this duality where we work with the light, the dark, the yin, the yang, each one of us. And on this full moon, the moon is, the sun and the moon are squaring the nodes of fate. And so as we think about our dream and what we're creating and our physical bodies and where we're devoted, we're also thinking of our collective dream and our collective gifts and how we're creating new systems of education and we're dissolving old paradigms, old beliefs that no longer serve the greater good. As we move into March, on March 4th, Mars moves into the sign of Gemini. So Mars has been in Taurus and Mars in Taurus is pretty slow and sluggish. And so Mars, our instinct, our will, our vitality becomes more into the mind, more into the air realm, and will eventually come to trine Jupiter and Saturn. Mercury meets up with Jupiter on March 4th for the second time, because remember Mercury was retrograde in Aquarius. And so Mercury comes to meet up with Jupiter again, 
receiving even more insights from that great conjunction. Remember, that's going to be a theme we're going to continue to work with. So you too are going to continue to receive a distillation of information. The following day on Venus Day, March 5th, the Pisces sun directly squares the north node. And we go into this last quarter moon phase. So it's a time to shed and also to see where we are creating and where the challenges and the blocks are. Knowing that the challenges and the blocks give us a fuel to our devotional fire to keep up, to keep going. So for that whole week from March 5th onward, with the last quarter moon, it is a time of great reflection of tending to our own internal soils, our ecosystems. What are we letting go of? What are we clearing out? If you feel a need to do some work in your home to let go of, to make space for the abundance of spring for those of us who live in the Northern Hemisphere or those of you who live in the Southern Hemisphere as you're welcoming in the season of fall, This last quarter moon phase is a really beautiful time to go through your closets, to go through your drawers, your pantries, your car, wherever you store things, office spaces, and just look, what what am I no longer in love with? Like, what am I holding on to that I'm ready to shed, let go of? As we're going into seasonal transition, it's always a good time with the last quarter moon to shed, to let go, to make space for the new frequencies to come in. On Sunday, March 7th, the asteroid goddess Pallas Athene moves into Pisces. As we remember, Pallas Athene in December, she entered, she went through the gate into Aquarius before Saturn and Jupiter conjunct at one degree Aquarius. So Pallas Athene opened up those gates for us. And now she has completed her journey through Aquarius, this high-minded goddess. With many genius solutions, she moves into the sign of Pisces, deepening that imaginative space. And then finally, on Wednesday, March 10th, the sun meets up with Neptune in Pisces. From now until episode 23, I really encourage you to be so beautifully engaged with your imaginative self. Work with water, take baths, take showers, go to streams and rivers and waterfalls where you live if you have those bodies available to you or to the ocean, to lakes. Work with the water element and work with your own creative instincts. In honor of devotion and loyalty, I feel it's really important in these times that we honor our teachers, our mentors, those who have come before us. It is important to acknowledge that each one of us stands upon the shoulders of many beloved giants, masters, our ancestors, so many different unseen beings. And for myself, I've been blessed to 
have many amazing teachers in my life in so many different capacities. And I wanted to take the time in this episode with this devotional signature to honor one of my mentors, Hank Wesselman. Hank Wesselman left his body. He transitioned to the other world on February 15th of this year, unexpectedly, uh, from a brief illness. He was 79 years old, almost 80 years old, and he has left behind his beautiful wife, Jill Kirkendall, and two beloved daughters and many, many people whose lives he's touched, myself included. Professionally, he was trained as an anthropologist and a paleontologist. And I'm personally, I love that. One of my greatest wishes at the age of seven was that I always said, I'm going to be a paleontologist. And although I'm not, <laughs> I'm not there, and I don't know if I actually will be, I do have a great fascination with the ancient worlds and with bones and stones. And I do work deeply with stone medicine and going this past December to this beautiful desert where there are whale bones over 45 million years old. It was so potent and so powerful. So it was in the early 1970s that Hank got into anthropology And he began looking with a team of different science-minded folks uh, for evidence of the earliest ancestors of humanity in the Great Rift Valley in East Africa. And it was there in the deserts of southwest Ethiopia that he began having visionary experiences. However, as he has stated in different interviews, At this time, he worshiped solely at the altar of science. And this is what I really loved about Hank and what first attracted me to his work. I found his books uh, when I was about 20 years old in college, living in Western Massachusetts, where I attended Hampshire College. And I remember around that time, my father had also come across his books, and I honestly can't remember if I gave my dad one of his books or he gave me one of his books. There was an exchange there, and what I loved about Hank was that he came into the world of shamanism through the lens of science, and as he was doing his PhD work in the 1980s, which was during my personal childhood, he spoke about how he began to have visions, out-of-body experiences in another reality, and that he was brought face-to-face with the spirit and then taken on an extraterrestrial tour. And from there, his world began to open up over time, and he began to At times he would have these visions and he would wake up and be in the body of this person, Nanoa, who lives in the future of what is Hawaii now. 
And so he has a trilogy of books, Spirit Walker, Medicine Maker, and Vision Seeker. And these were the books I first came upon. But there's so many other books he's written, and some of them he's co-authored with his wife, Jill. After numerous different journeys, he began to work with the shamanic consciousness. And so his work became about shamanism, and he always called himself a student of shamanism. And I really respected that and appreciated that about him. And I also respected and appreciated that he had really strong boundaries around substances of any kind, including any kind of plant medicines. And I studied with him in a five-day workshop the year that I turned 28. I was 27 at the time, and I was just feeling so incredibly blessed to be able to meet him and his wife as I had read his books and been following his work and had almost traveled with them to Egypt in the early 2000s, but wasn't able to make that trip happen. And so I was really feeling so much gratitude to meet him. And I loved how in preparation for the five days, we were sent very explicit uh, directions to agree to not ingest alcohol, to not ingest any kind of plant medicines, and to commit to that through the course of the workshop. And I know that there are a lot of different practitioners out there that work with plant medicine, and I want to offer my respect to your work. And I also really believe in the Aquarian age that as we're going deeper and deeper into levels of sovereignty, that it is important we find ways to access realms without the use of ingesting anything into our physical bodies to work with the frequencies in other ways, particularly because so many plant medicines have been extremely disrespected including the sentient being of marijuana and the sentient being of ayahuasca and the sentient being of great-grandfather tobacco. Now, I know there are many beings on the planet that respect the sentient life force of these beautiful plants that hold such powerful frequencies for us on Earth. However, I I know there's a a lot of abuse that occurs, particularly in spiritual communities around these plant medicines. And I don't think that as a collective whole, we have found a way to be in right relationship with these plants. And I do believe it is up to each one of us to find the appropriate ways to be in relationship. And I myself cannot tell you personally what your right relationship would look like. So only you can answer that for yourself. However, as I'm creating this podcast, and I know there will be a diverse amount of people who will listen, I do feel it is my responsibility to touch on this topic because I think it gets shadowed over and kind of um, hidden and disregarded in different spiritual traditions that are 
operating in the contemporary world. And I do think it is a part of our healing journey to bring more respect and gratitude and offerings, physical offerings, love offerings to these plant beings and to all the different allies in the nature world that support our lives here on earth. So according to Hank, uh, he, he defines shaman in a really beautiful way. And um, he talks about how a shaman has an ability to enter states of consciousness, the super conscious realms. And in these states, they venture into an alternate reality. The spirit world, the spirits of nature, of plants, of animals, of stones, of angels, of ancient human archetypal experience, gods, goddesses, uh, they we find evidence of this going all the way back to over 50,000 years ago through indigenous cave art found all over the world. And this is something that I'm personally really interested in. I studied this in undergraduate school and it has been a baseline frequency of my work is Understanding those symbols left behind by our ancient, ancient, ancient indigenous ancestors of over 50,000 years ago. Every single one of us can trace our bloodlines back to ancient, ancient, ancient indigenous beings. And with that, I wanted to just share a little bit about what Hank spoke to the word shaman. Um, This was found from his website's And um, in response to the word shaman and cultural appropriation, and I thought it was a really important topic and that he put it out on his website, sharedwisdom.com. I think it's really important. And so if you want to go in and read further, you can. I'm going to take some pieces and just bring it out as a discussion. Now, Shamans are medicine people, yet not all medicine people are shamans. So that's an important distinction. There are medicine people who are priests, ceremonialists, herbalists. Our modern doctors and nurses are medicine people, right? I mean, we could could have a whole dialogue around what that means. But people who are gravitating towards the field of being a doctor or nurse... They have this current, this vibration within them that they are a medicine person. They are a healer. Now, a shaman actually does the majority of their work in the transpersonal world of spirit, in the unseen realms. And this word shaman comes from the language of the Evink people. Now, I could be pronouncing Evink improperly, so please forgive me for my own ignorance around that. And this word, these people and this word comes from Siberia and they are known for their shamans. Their translation is the one who knows or the one who sees in the dark and who has the implications to uh, heal, to work with energy. Now, different Western academics, scientists, investigators became aware of these tribal visionaries 
And then from that, the word shaman was extracted and we could debate around whether that was culturally appropriated or not, right? However, it was a term that was actually extracted and chosen by anthropologists in the last century to describe the practice of tribal mystics who were in service to their communities and who had the ability to access the spirit realm where they had established spiritual allies who helped them to be of service. And this word was utilized regardless of what culture people came from through the scientific Western lens of anthropology. So today, when New Age practitioners are using the word shaman, there are people out there who will um, get very upset that they use that word and talk about cultural appropriation in regards to the word. And I absolutely can understand why one would be upset about that. And I also think we have to note that anthropologists coined it this and that they're also using academic language. And the world that we live in right now is a dichotomy. It is so many things. And here we are living and breathing it and we're breaking down many paradigms. And so I'm not offering this discussion to say it is right or wrong to use the word shaman, but I think it's important dialogue to consider, especially if you personally practice some form of what could be deemed shamanism. So Hank goes on to talk about, um, cultural appropriation. And he says, I would ask those who declare this to be more specific, like what are your spiritual practices and what do you consider to be misappropriated? Then he goes on to say that if one is not disrespecting any tradition or if they have learned with indigenous people or even doing things in their own unique way, he personally sees no hurt being done to any tradition And he goes on to say that we all need a framework or a starting point in regards of belief. We cannot practice something we don't believe in or for what we have no knowledge about. So he's basically saying if someone is in the midst of a practice, they cannot have a practice if they don't already have a belief system. And where's that belief system rooted? He says, culture gives sense and traction to spiritual work, and the great gift of indigenous wisdom is that sometimes it provides that catalyst, that starting point for visionary seekers. And he also goes on to say, nothing is done in a cultural vacuum. And even if you don't use indigenous practices or practice Christianity or some other form of religion, you still live within a culture, and we all carry that culture within us. For some, it is a mixed culture because it has always been informed by where we grew up, by our parents, our teachers, our friends, by the experiences we had growing up, and by our ancestors. And that we all had indigenous tribal ancestors if we go back far enough. He goes on to say, I would say that spiritual practices that sit within an indigenous tradition are much deeper, more powerful, and more fully formed. 
And this piece about that we all had indigenous tribal ancestors, if we go far back enough, this piece is something that is absolutely a thread in in my own personal work. And I believe it's really important that we find ways to honor that. Also, those of us with any form of white privilege or any other kinds of privilege must also activate and utilize our privilege in a good way in right relationship with the earth, with the elements, with our ancestors, and most importantly, with the people who have been oppressed through our privilege, regardless of whether we personally oppressed them or our ancestors or that others are oppressing them, that we are taking note and that we are looking at ways to do better, to be better, to be more conscious, to be more aligned. And to also understand that there is no perfection in this process, that it is messy, and to be willing to show up in the messiness, and to be willing to make mistakes, and to be willing to say, I am sorry, I made a mistake. Because this whole concept of perfectionism is a deep thread of white supremacy that is running through our entire world right now. And is paralyzing so many of us. And I myself have been looking really into my own psyche where that perfectionism lives and how it paralyzes me in certain ways and how I can shift that paradigm and be an example for my daughter so that she may live with less perfectionism and so that we may break these chains, these psyche chains that we are carrying in our collective reality. And this is the work. This is the work of those nodes of fate that I was speaking about, the South Node in Sagittarius, the North Node in Gemini. And I didn't specify that particularly in this podcast, but if you've been following these star stones and stories, you're with me on this. And so I want to go back to some of Hank's beautiful wisdom that he shares because He is in his process here and now as I'm recording, he is in his process of fully finding himself established in the other world. And as someone who was a mentor, a teacher for me, who really inspired my work and my path on a, on a subtle level, because I didn't have the ability to study with him in depth. I could have, my life took a, there was a moment that year after I had done that five-day workshop, I was invited by him to do deeper work. And that was also a time where I had just begun my birth and my postpartum doula business, the conscious canopy, many, many years ago. And I had already devoted so much of my time and my financial backing to build my business. And I knew that I had a fork in the road. I could continue to do my doula birth work or I could go deeper on this shamanic path studying with Hank. And I really sat with it. It was it was a big decision, but I was called to dive deeper into the birth and the postpartum realms, which has also served my work on so many levels and As an artist, I look at this as 
a body of all of my personal art. And I trust, I trust the way that the path has meandered. And I hope that you too are trusting the way that the path has meandered for you, knowing that when we take detours or when we have these forks in the road, that that what which we are meant to learn and embody finds us, even when we move away from it. As Hank talks about this shamanic work, it is a restoration of power. It is learning how to access information through divination, which we know divination to be many different kinds of arts. Astrology would be included in that tarot card, augury, looking to the birds, listening the birds, going back in time and still today in different indigenous cultures, reading entrails of different animals. There are so many forms of divination. And the shaman utilizes divination to do healing work that is physical, that is mental, that is emotional, energetic, ultimately spiritual. And they are able to access this experience for their self. And as they master that, then they can be of service to others. So I think it's important to note that it's essential for anyone doing this kind of work that they're really walking in right relationship with power and control dynamics. As he went into the future, he did it through a grid of light, a line of light, and he went 5,000 years into the future and merged with a man. And through that, he accessed a zero-point world, which is defined in his book, Spirit Walker. And it's such a beautiful book. I, I personally haven't read it in many years, but it's one of those books that deeply touched me. And that was Hank's shamanic initiation crisis. And then Medicine Maker, he talks about how he became a shaman and then Envision Seeker about his training. And this future Nanoa is of the Kahuna tradition. And so Hank learned so much about the sacred Hawaiian cosmology. He ended up attracting to him a teacher in the flesh, an actual Kahuna, Hale Makua, who came and Hank and him established a relationship, I think for about a decade before Makua transitioned on. <clears throat> Makua would call Hank Wesselman, Vesselman, and talk about this bowl of light from the Oversoul. Makua would talk about how each one of us has a bowl of light from our own Oversoul, our higher self, our twin flame, our actual twin flame, right? This Oversoul nourishes us and sustains us, and that every time we are in the negative, Makua said, it's like you put a stone in your bowl. And your bowl of light will fill up with stones. And so what do you do with it? You just dump it out. You dump out the rocks and your bowl fills up with light again. So this is the journey of spiritual warriorship. The Western mind begins with control. What we are here to experience is love. To love what we see, to have humility, to live with great reverence, with respect, to know all that you possess with discipline, to have self-discipline. Many peoples around the world 
Hank explained, from the Hawaiians to the Inuit to the Lakota to the Cherokee to the Orisha traditions to the Shra of the Amazon, talk about having three souls, that the oversoul is the higher self, the immortal spiritual soul that exists in heaven or paradise, that it sends down a seed of itself, the vehicle of transfer into a new embodiment in the breath, the divine breath of life that is motivated by creation. And then our body soul takes on the imprints of both the mother line and the father line. It is the inner hard drive, the sender and receiver of all psychic and sexual experiences, motivated by pleasure. It is what Freud would call the id, is the unconscious mind. Jung called it the unconscious mind. And then the mental soul, what Freud called ego, or Jung called the conscious mind, is the inner director. It is the part of us that makes the decisions and that keeps us safe. All of these three souls are in relationship, and when they are fully expressed, fully aware, this is enlightenment. Looking to the ocean as the great sustainer of life. And many ancient cultures talk about star people who came here. The Egyptians, the Hawaiians, the Cherokee the Lakota, so many different traditions, the Icelandic peoples. It goes back. These star people, these seeds of light, Ruach in Hebrew, it is our God self, our goddess self that breathed this divinity into life. And the soul cluster detaches and returns to source in the upper world. And so this is this journey we're on as these star seeds. And through many different Polynesian cultures, there is the boat, the boat that travels from the star seed origin that travels to earth. And it was the whales and the dolphins that came and sang the song lines for the beings to come down to earth. The ancient Egyptians have a boat of light. And when you cross over, when you die, you take that boat into the other world. This is the beauty of cosmology and the threads that weave us together as peoples all across earth. And my prayer is that as this information is shared, it is shared for your most greatest awakening and upliftment in this beautiful Pisces season. And that you may feel inspired and that you may find ways to be in right relationship with this information, that you may honor it and the sources shared here as well. Because this is an important part of the process in the Aquarian age is that we honor lineage, we honor where we receive the codes of information, the codes of light. That is how we weave this web of consciousness in a good way, in a holy way, in a medicine way. Take a nice, long, deep breath in. And exhale. 
Start again. Inhale deeply. And exhale. If you have not already, please come and make yourself comfortable. Find yourself in a space where you can drop in either by staying seated or coming to lie down on your back and just begin to allow yourself to relax as if ocean waves are running across your body running through your nervous system clearing you clearing you of anything that is not yours these waves of water purify literally running through your entire physical body and your psycho-emotional spiritual field so that the waves of water wash through every cell of your being And you begin to find yourself walking down this long tunnel. You begin to notice as you're walking through this tunnel, the light coming towards you. this golden radiant light it's so bright and warm that you can feel it touching your skin like sunlight purifying the cells of who you are just as that water did and as you walk further and further you come to bask fully in the light and you stand and you begin to look around realizing that you're in the most elegant beautiful library and the sunlight the natural sunlight just pours through the space there are tall, tall columns that seem to go up and out into infinity. And there are countless, countless books, so many books. You find yourself walking through this space almost overwhelmed at the contents there's so much it's it's utterly vast however you're magnetically being drawn and so you trust this and you 
stay in your body, you dissolve any desire to overthink. And as you continue to move forward, you find yourself going further into the library and you turn to one row of shelves and you immediately find yourself, your hand is drawn up to the third shelf from your hips and you reach up and you immediately are gravitated toward this particular book. It's brown, leather bound, not much that pulls to you from the cover. However, it feels so warm and familiar and there is a warmness to the cover. It feels almost familiar to you. You take it in your hands and you look to your right and you see where you're drawn. You see this little alcove, this little corner where there's this cozy, cozy space to come and sit. And so you do so. You bring the book in your lap and you take a moment and you take a nice long deep breath and you exhale and you open the book you're drawn to an early section in the book but you don't start on the first page and you begin to turn the pages and you begin to realize that this book is the story of you. This is the story of your life. And you begin to turn the pages reflecting on parts of your childhood, your adolescence, your early adulthood. There are things you've completely forgotten about that appear before your very eyes. And so you continue to flip through the book and you find yourself at this now moment So much so that you literally see the image of yourself sitting where you're sitting, holding the book in your lap, turning the pages. You close your eyes and you breathe. You ground and you center because you have to make a decision. Are you going to keep looking 
What are you going to do? Do you want to know what comes next? Is it time to know these things? And you go to turn the page. However, it's blank. It's unwritten. And you laugh. (laughs) And you get up. And you leave the book there in the space you were seated and you find yourself once more walking through the library. Down the hall, you keep following the light. You're drawn to follow the light and As you do so, you find yourself having gone through this entire segment, this hall of the library, being led into this most beautiful atrium garden area. And you walk through the most lovely garden space with so many butterflies and dragonflies and you follow this path all the way through these double doors and you find yourself outside this beautiful desert scene with one long stone pathway quartz the stone is quartz and you walk along this quartz and you find yourself walking to this large slab of quartz, this large circular slab, and you come to lie down. You lie down, you spread your legs and your arms so that you've made a five-pointed star. You close your eyes and you feel the sunlight beaming down upon you. You hear movement of the sand as the wind stirs ever so gently and as you lie in the space spinning clockwise and 
that all around you are your ancestors, your guides, your guardians, the animals you have connected with the most, the beings who you love and cherish, who have crossed into the other world. All of these beings are around you and they are dancing, they are moving clockwise and counterclockwise, weaving, weaving this web around you. As they move, they move with joy, with celebration. And the spinning begins to wind down. And you begin to feel as if you have so many different pairs of hands all around you. Beaming through their palms, pure healing frequencies. bringing the immense support that you have been praying for, you've been asking for, bringing all of this to you here and now. You feel so full of light
And as they offer you this energy, they begin to offer you gift after gift. Everything you've been needing, that you've been praying for. Whether it's through sound, through sacred oils, through herbs, through knowledge, through touch, through song. You feel immensely full here and now. And through your third eye, you begin to vision. You see yourself traveling through the cosmos, traveling through the stars in your light body. You see yourself coming down to earth, so full of bliss and wholeness. And you see yourself carrying the torch of this sacred dream that is your unique destiny. You see yourself growing and developing in your mother's womb. You see yourself being born and growing through all the stages and ages to where you are now. And through these eyes, through this eye, you see so much that has been forgotten. And you open that field in your heart, pouring in like a warm, rich honey in the heart. You allow this wisdom to move through, to beat through your entire body, the sacred drum of your heart. Forever awake, forever committed, forever connected to this resonance, forever ignited with the sacred holy dream. begin to 
feel so much vitality and inspiration moving through you. Once more, you notice the bright sun beaming down on you as you're lying upon this quartz slab. And you begin to find yourself coming up to sit from the slab and coming up to stand slowly, moving back, back. through the garden, back through the library, back to the tunnel where you began. And as you enter this tunnel, you begin to enter this ocean of water. You find yourself wading and then swimming through the water diving deep down, swimming, and eventually coming to the shore. As you emerge upon the shore, you begin to walk. You walk for what feels like miles. And as you walk, you feel your entire council of wise ones your ancestors, your angels, your guides, your guardians. They walk all alongside you, in front of you, behind you. And you see so clearly, you see so clearly that you have such potent, powerful support that you are celebrated and that you are honored. And just like that, you bring your awareness back to your physical body. And you place your right hand on your heart and your left hand on top of your right. You take some deep breaths. You begin to wiggle through the fingers and the toes circle through the wrists and the ankles. You begin to rub the palms of the hands together, hugging the knees into the chest, rolling over to the right side, and then pushing up to sit.
you find a pen and some paper and you find some light, some sunlight, moonlight, candlelight and you begin to write and as you write, I invite you to write about this vision, I invite you to write about this dream, the sacred dream of yours, this destiny that you've come to earth to experience, to witness, to breathe, to birth. These guides, these guardians that surround you, that support you and your ancestors. Take some time to craft this space to honor and may you be blessed. And so it is. Ashe, aho, blessed be. May Isis heal me as she healed her son Horus of all the pains which were brought on him. Thou great enchantress, heal me. Save me from all evil, things of darkness, from the epidemic and deadly diseases and infections of all sorts that spring upon me, as thou hast saved and freed Horus. Free me from all possible evil, hurtful things of darkness, from epidemic and deadly fevers of all kinds. And so it is. for sharing sacred space. My prayer is that we awaken to the reality that we are a hologram for the collective. By being fierce in our authentic truth, we have the opportunity to elevate life on this exquisite planet Earth. Crystallize your medicine. <laughs>